Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, the prophet Habakkuk laments. When things fall apart, God is nowhere to be found. How long shall I cry to you for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Habakkuk spoke those words some 2,600 years ago, but they could have just as easily been uttered today. In a world that's so riven with self-centered indifference, rampant injustice, meaningless violence, it's easy to feel as if God is absent. As Habakkuk knew, it can be difficult to believe in God. Usually when we talk about believing in God, we mean whether we think God exists. Do you think God exists? Yes, no, other, check a box. That's not what the prophet is talking about. After all, even Habakkuk's complaints about God are addressed to God. How long shall I cry to you, God, for help, and you, God, will not listen? Now the prophet's question is about whether God is worthy of our trust. Habakkuk is not talking about a lapse of belief. He's talking about a crisis of faith. Now not only can we sympathize with Habakkuk's lament, but we reenact his contemporaries' response to God's seeming absence. We do that in one of two ways. Both of them shut us off from the world, and both of them corrode our society, our relationships, and our church. The first one is avoidance, what we might call selective hearing. We tune out anything that doesn't resonate with our view of the world as it already exists. The most obvious way we do this is in our civic life. We watch the news not to become informed, but to be told that we're right. We're one of the insiders who really gets what's going on. We break off into smaller and smaller enclaves so we don't have to be around people we think aren't like us. What political scientists call negative partisanship, voting against people we don't like, seems to be the way that we construct our identities these days. What are Lutherans? Not Catholics. What is Wyckoff like? Not like Ramsey. Someone actually told me that the other day. Who am I? I don't know, but I'm not one of those people. And sometimes we use selective hearing in the stories that we tell about ourselves. Stories can make the world orderly and give us a sense of place, but sometimes they can restrict us too. Occasionally, I'll ask people to get involved with something new at church, a new event, or something they haven't done before, and they'll respond by saying, no, I can't do that because I already know what I'm good at, and I wouldn't be any good at that. Which kind of misses the point. Sometimes stuff should happen in church, and you should think, that was enthusiastic, and it was faithful. It was not very good. But it's mostly just kind of sad. It's easier for us to knowingly fail in a way that's comfortable rather than risk succeeding and having to learn something new about ourselves. And the second way we deal with that sense of disorientation is self-preservation. When the world gets complicated and frustrating, just focus on you. In some ways, other people have rights and needs and concerns, and yet in a much more real way, those people are not you. So just focus on whether your pipes have lead in them. Just focus on winning your election. 
Just focus on whether you live in a good school district. In theory, churches should be good at avoiding self-preservation. After all, Jesus was not exactly one for self-preservation. But we are some of the worst offenders. Spend five minutes in a synod meeting and you'll hear the magic phrase, we need to keep the doors open, or we need to keep the lights on. Not, we need to make our community a more compassionate place that reflects the love of God and Jesus Christ, but we just have to exist. If our greatest aspiration as a congregation is to keep the doors open, then we should just close them, lock them, and go home. What happens when we respond to God's seeming absence with selective hearing and self-preservation? Well, things only get worse. As the prophet Habakkuk puts it, the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous and judgment comes forth perverted. When we engage in selective hearing, we make the law strict when it applies to others and slack when it applies to us. No wonder justice comes forth perverted. And when we engage in self-preservation, we give up something good for something we know. We give up the kingdom of God for a lukewarm bowl of mere survival. But how does Habakkuk respond to the sense of confusion? Not the way you or I usually do. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself at the rampart. Does Habakkuk run off to the wilderness to work out this crisis of faith in private? No, this is no Walden or Qumran. Habakkuk goes to the center of the city to make clear he is waiting for a response from God. He puts himself in a position of responsibility for everybody else. Because to be on watch is to report for what's imminent, but not visible, what's imperative, but not always apparent. Habakkuk trades selective hearing and self-preservation for public witness and communal flourishing. And how does God respond to Habakkuk? Well, God gives Habakkuk a vision of the life God intends, free from the slackened law and destruction we know so well. And that vision is what gives Habakkuk faith. You notice God does not give Habakkuk a program or an easy answer or a 10-step guide. God gives him faith. That's it. It's all Habakkuk needs, and as it turns out, it's all we need, too. So often, as the people of God, we look to the future and think, we don't have what we need. Sometimes we say that about ourselves. Like the disciples in today's Gospel reading, Jesus tells us to follow him in mission in the world, and we say, well, Jesus must be talking about someone else. I don't have the right life experience, I don't have the right qualifications, I don't have the right personality, I don't have enough faith. Jesus says, come and follow me, and we respond, no, I can't do that. I already know what I'm good at, and I wouldn't be any good at doing that. And we do the same thing as a community. We tell ourselves we would be in mission, we would be a vibrant, integral presence in our community, but our church doesn't have what we need. We don't have the right building. We don't have the right music. We don't have the right pastor. We don't have the right location. We don't have the right people, whatever that means. We don't have the right programs. 
Jesus says, follow me, and we respond, no, we're not ready yet. We have stuff we have to get straightened out before we can be useful. There's probably nothing that would scare us more than God answering our complaining or saying we don't have the right stuff by saying, actually, you already have everything you need. And as it just so happens, that's exactly what God tells us. You have everything you need because you have faith. And faith does not come in degrees. There are not some people with more and some with less. There are not some people with better faith and some people with worse faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says, that's sufficient. That's good. Let's go. God gives us that gift of faith so we have no excuse to backslide into the respectable vices of self-preservation and selective listening. We have everything we need already. There are a million other things that people tell us we need to be successful. Money, facilities, charisma, influence. But God says the righteous live by faith. That's all we have, and at the end of the day, it's really all we need. So where does that leave us? If God gives us faith, if we have everything we need, then what are we supposed to do? Well, remember what God tells Habakkuk. Take the vision and make it clear. Write it on tablets so that a runner can read it. Make God's vision for society, what we call the kingdom of God, so obvious that someone can read it while they're sprinting through town. Make it so apparent that when people fly around Wyckoff and Godwin going God knows how fast, they can read it. Make it so apparent that no one who comes through the doors of this church wonders whether they are a beloved child of God. And here's the hard one. You ready? Make it so apparent that the people who would never come into this building know it too. Because somewhere not too far away from here, there's an abused mom who thinks maybe she's doing something to deserve it. There's a kid getting shoved in a locker who thinks maybe God made them the wrong way. There's a family afraid of a knock at the door. And though, like Habakkuk, God feels absent to them, they should never doubt whether we are present. Not because we are people of means or ability or talent, but because God has made us people of faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.